And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we review the movies from Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Dylan Coyar. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Nick Fulton. And instead of reviewing one of Ebert's uh, great movies today, we are discussing mainly Nomadland, but also, because uh, that's the only NYFF film I've seen, but I know Jan and uh, Nick have seen more, so we will also be discussing general film festival ideas. We will probably do a second part to this also, as the New York Film Festival is still going on. And we will all also be watching Minari sometime soon. But seeing as we all got to see Nomadland for the first time last night, we thought we'd convene and do a little discussion on that and some of the other movies that we've done so far this week. Um, I kind of want to end with Nomadland, so I want to discuss some of the things you guys have seen already. So I know, Nick, how many films have you seen? Uh, Two and a half so far. So only one and a half new films. How does that work? So... I, I just gave up halfway through. No, no, one, one is a... Uh, so I watched um, this spook who sat by the door. Did we talk about that a little bit on... I think you said you were going to watch it last time we yeah. talked. Okay. I, I, I couldn't remember the timing of when we recorded yeah. last because I think I did talk about it on my other show. But So uh, Spook Who Sat by the Door is... Um, it's a movie from 1973. And it's a, a movie that my friend has been telling me is like... He, for him, five stars, like one of his top 10, maybe top five, like maybe number one favorite movies of all time. Uh, but it's been hard to find, at least in a like a remastered or good copy. I, I found like what looks like maybe a not great um, DVD transfer of it on Amazon. So I've been putting off getting it. And I saw that this happened to be like one of the revival films that was playing on um Friday night. It was actually, as far as I know, the only revival film that was zero dollars, which is kind of cool. Wow. So I didn't have to pay anything for this. Um, and the plot of it is basically for political reasons, the CIA um, needs to recruit a black person into the CIA. Like they, it's, um, I think it's, it starts off with like a senator saying, hey, we need to do this to, to drum up. Uh, the African-American vote and they say okay we'll do this and and that'll you know work politically in his favor so it follows like a small core of people and then it kind of narrows down on one guy named Dan Freeman who um, joins the CIA he becomes an operative and he's very like he seems very straight-laced by the book to his uh superiors in the CIA and co-workers in the CIA but meanwhile like behind the scenes he's he meets with a um a prostitute and he's very into like um I'm trying to like just black history and in a like in an empowering way I mean his name is Freeman uh which I think is not an accident uh, sure. especially like yeah. give, given the timing like this is, this was in 1973 so he works for the CIA for a few years and there's like a weird disconnect between how he is privately and how he is um 
when he's facing like his superiors at work. And there's like incidents where people are being like blatantly, you know, racist to him at work. And he just kind of like, he, he lets it slide in a way that makes him look like he's a doormat. But then that's contrasted with all the things that he's saying to, to this woman behind the scenes. And after working for the CIA for a few years, he gets all this training in, you know, CIA techniques. Um, he says that he's going to retire from his CIA job and go to do like social work in Chicago. But really what he's doing when he goes to Chicago is he, he meets up with um, like a group of like, like a gang, basically. And he mm. essentially teaches them guerrilla warfare tactics. And I'll, I'll, I don't want to say too much more like where it goes from there, but it's a really like, I can't believe this movie was made in 1973. It's, it really seems like something that somebody would start making. They would have started making like literally this summer. Yeah. After. And you know, everything that's been going on, this movie feels so incredibly timely. Um, I really hope that the fact that it had the revival screening means that somebody, um, is picking it up. Like I would love to see Criterion or something like that. Pick this up, do like a, a nice looking remaster with bonus footage and all that jazz, because I'm sure there's a ton of stuff to dig into, uh, behind the scenes with, uh, with this movie. Cause I know that it was very surprisingly, it was very controversial upon yeah. <laughs> what upon release. And Wikipedia tells me that it has an original score by Herbie Hancock, mm. uh, which sounds yes. pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. that's cool. Legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very cool movie. I've it. So it's been on my radar like for years. Um, but once, once it was, um, screening at the New York film fest, I, I jumped on the chance to actually see it and support it in that way. And what did you think of the movie? Oh, it's really cool. Um, it's a little bit, it has kind of that like low budget B picture type feel from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not a black exploitation movie per se, but it has some similar, um, like aesthetic qualities uh but i think to its credit i i really liked it um i had a good time watching it and i would i would love to watch it again actually like knowing where everything goes i think it would be like mm-hmm. really rewarding on a rewatch and there's a lot of like subtleties i mean like i said his name is freeman there's a lot of things like that in the movie that um my buddy who's seen it like a million times says that you pick up more and more stuff every time you watch it how has he seen it I don't know. He he finds stuff. <laughs> I do hope that it sounds like if they did a good remaster for this revival screening, hopefully that does mean it's in the works somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it seems perfect for, and especially like, I don't think we really talked about it um, when this came out, but Criterion just had like a pretty big, I think it was New York Times profile mm-hmm. like a month or so yeah. ago about how they release almost no um, films directed by black artists. And I th- right. Mm-hmm. I th- and I think it's. I think it was only three. It was four films and only three directors, or maybe like even that. two. It's uh, Spike Lee. Um, oh yeah, gosh. It's like a couple Spike movies. The the new yeah. movie that I don't know how to pronounce it. I've seen it written out. It's very long, and they're they upgraded it this uh, December. I think it's like Symbiotoxoplasm something. Yeah, ta- Taxiplasm. Yeah, something oh, like that. Sure. 
And I'm trying to think of what the other one was. I oh, know. oh, there's well, one. I know what there's one Charles Burnett movie that they've. Charles done. Burnett. Yeah. yeah um, I'm. Which one? I am. is it to sleep with anger? Yes, it's to sleep with anger. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I'll okay. know it as soon as someone says it out loud. It's a sentence. Um, yeah, to sleep with anger. Charles Burnett's like one of my biggest blind spots. I really need to see that in Killing the yeah. Killing the Sheep. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen um, to Sleep with Anger, but um, so it. I mean, it's something that they, I think, are aware is a um, mm-hmm. like a big hole in their filmography. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if I don't know like what the rights are to this movie, but it seems like the perfect opportunity for them to like get some better press considering that right. this, I mean it was in the New York Times it wasn't just like it, it wasn't yeah some right that was not some niche publication yeah yeah it wasn't like some tweet from mm-hmm. one person who you know 50 people read it right it was yeah the New York Times so um I I actually know the last film because I've seen it and have been begging you guys to watch it and it's uh Kathleen uh Collins's Losing Ground is that a Criterion release though I saw it on the Criterion channel, so... Well, they have yeah, a lot but... of, like, like Watermelon Women and Daughters of the Dust are on Criterion oh, channel, but they haven't oh, yeah. got the, Watermelon. like, the whole treatment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is only, like... Okay. Yeah, they're talking about disc, ground disc releases. I forgot because, about Losing Ground. Yeah, because Criterion channel also does... Um, they have a few, or had, I don't know if they're still on there, uh, Kalik Allah documentaries, and he's someone mm-hmm. who they should also, like, they already have his movies on the channel i don't know like again licensing is super complicated and weird yeah i don't know any of that stuff but i would love for them to do um like a a box set of his documentaries because they're pretty cool i've seen a couple of them they're very good yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that new york times piece losing ground yeah that new york times piece made sort of some interesting points about how it's like really great they're making all these films available on the channel which is Mm -hmm. really great um but there's still that like canonical aspect to like getting that disc release with the booklet mm-hmm. and the special features and the essays and the art and all that and so made, made a good point that they need to step up their game yeah and one, one, one counterpoint though and i guess it's not like in criterion's favor but just generally um they're probably like the biggest of the boutique uh oh, like yeah. dvd blu-ray mm-hmm. publishers but there are other um companies Absolutely. out there like killer sheep um, and Losing Ground, I think, are both. Well, I, I know for a fact that Killer of Sheep is a Milestone Films uh, mm-hmm. DVD release. And I think Losing Ground is uh, also by them. So there are other people out there yeah, if, if you um, know where to look. But, mm-hmm. I mean, for Criterion being the biggest, and, I mean, I love their their um, products. I have tons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're big fans. <laughs> Uh, it's like the only thing I've seen. It's like the only thing I've spent my money on, like during all of uh, quarantine. Pretty mm-hmm. much. <laughs> but how much money has it been? Uh, <laughs> too too much. Yeah. Um, no comment. <laughs> yeah. So it's not to to say in their defense, but just gen- like for for people who who want to find these things, it's not like there's nowhere else to look. Um, mm-hmm. But they really should, you know, be more proactive about. Uh, in like we we named the directors. They don't have any black women directors or at least nope. black american women directors i'm trying to think of if they have any black women directors whose stuff they've released even outside of america uh none that are coming to mind so yeah i mean they have work to do obviously but mm-hmm. uh, i think this would be a great mm-hmm. opportunity if they're if they happen to be listening to the show and <laughs> yes <absolutely>. have the <laughs> and have the ability to get the rights to, to um this movie i think it would be pretty cool so uh, yeah I'm, I'm assuming that since it is out um, in this revival screening that hopefully we'll see it um, coming to home video or streaming channels 
very soon because I'd love to be able to talk mm-hmm. about it with more people. Yeah. Me too. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I, I know that Criterion just put out a profile piece on their Twitter account with uh, Cheryl, I think you pronounce her last name, Dunye, mm. or Dunn. Um, she directed and wrote Watermelon Woman, mm-hmm. so... You know, maybe that one's getting close to DVD release, which would be great because that's an excellent movie, which you two still need to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I want to switch over to Jenna. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about one of the movies you watched. Sure. What do you got? So I have watched a handful. I don't know, um, Nick, are you counting um, Human Voice as the half yeah, movie that's the half. that you saw? That's the okay. Half. Yep. So uh, by that uh, okay. by that uh, metric, I have watched four and a half um, movies at okay. New York Film Festival. Um, first one being the opening night movie, which was Lovers Rock, the for the first installment of the Steve McQueen small axe anthology. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't. Yeah, please talk all that. About I that. wasn't. Pl- I wasn't planning on watching it. It wasn't part of my original ones because it was like the Thursday night opening night. I knew it was just an installment in this anthology. It'll be on Amazon, I think. Um, later this year and then I was just sitting at home on a Thursday night with nothing better to do and all the tweets just started coming in about how amazing it was and so I was like well I'm not doing anything and it was within the four-hour viewing window and it's only an hour long so what I one thing I've now discovered I did not watch Mangrove which is the second one that was available at the festival and it's supposed to be just as good Um, Mangrove is like two plus hours long Mm. and uh, uh, Lover's Rock is just over an hour so I get the sense that Steve McQueen has a lot of uh, free-form ability here to just uh, tell his stories however he wants, which is great. So, no one reigns in Steve McQueen. I know. So Lover's Rock is a short, like I said, 60-plus minute movie. Um, basically tells the story of one night at a house party. And it tells it from the perspective of a few different characters. Um, you see the people who are at the house who are getting the party ready, who are cooking the food, who the DJ is setting up. Then you check in with people who are like elsewhere in town who are just getting ready to come to the party and make their way there. And you sort of follow everyone into the party, everything that happens at the party. And then you follow a few characters like as the party unfolds in the end, you know, end of the night into the early next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's not like a it's not a big narrative uh, in any particular way. It tells just a lot of small stories, small moments. Um, you just follow these characters and there's, it's just really, for me at least, it just did a really good job of capturing the feeling of being in a atmosphere like that with people. Um, it's a brutal watch <laughs> in quarantine because these people are just in this packed house and they're <laughs> drinking together and they're singing and they're dancing and it just looks like the best place in the entire world and you're just sitting alone, quarantined in your tiny apartment going, cool, 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 cool. Um, but that aside, amazing music, some of just the best, most joyful needle drops in this thing. Um, some like famous songs, some songs I had never heard before. And it just really sucks you in to these people's lives. Um, and it's, you know, there's a couple of things that happen that are on the tougher side. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there's some I mean, it's a Steve McQueen movie, right? So there's some moments of sort of brief violence and and kind of scariness where you're very Mm -hmm. concerned about what might happen. But it's not, 
you know, those, those sort of are fleeting. And then you really just go back to, okay, well, we dealt with that situation. And then everyone moves on. So I, I loved it. I had no expectations, which was a fun way to watch it. So now, like with all these movies, um, I now worry that people are going to watch it and go, oh, okay, well, that was fine. Um, maybe the expectations get too high. But it's, it's very simple. It's just a very simple story, but told so expertly. Um, yeah, I can't wait to watch it again. And I, someone made a Spotify playlist of all the songs. I've been listening to that. Um, yeah. Highly recommend. Really looking forward to watching it again. I don't think I'm going to. I missed Mangrove. I don't think I'm going to catch Red, White, and Blue, which is the third installment of the Small Axe Anthology that's available at the festival. And then there's two more that aren't playing the festival at all. So I think for the rest of them, I will just be eagerly anticipating the Amazon release with everybody else. How did he manage to make five movies within the last I, like, couple years? <laughs> I have no idea. This this whole, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen people talking about it online. We're like, is it movies? Is it TV? What is this project? And he's not, like, people are just refusing to define it. I think he calls mm-hmm. them films, but it's, you know, it's airing in these five installments. I have no idea. And there was no one in Lover's Rock that I recognized from anything else. I'm sure I've maybe seen them before. But some of these other installments star, you know, Letitia Wright or John Boyega or like, you know, with famous actors. Yeah, with famous actors telling these movies. I have no idea how this project came together. I'm sure there'll be tons of press about it when it gets closer to the actual release date. But yeah, it kind of just blew me away. I didn't even know it was happening until I looked at the festival lineup. Um, yeah. Same. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of any of these until mm-hmm. I saw the lineup, and I was like, oh, there's a new Steve McQueen. And then I right. looked some more, and I'm like, oh, there's, there's another Steve, Steve McQueen. Right. Yeah, I, I did the exact same thing. Um, looking up some of the actors in the movie, it seems like a lot of this is, like, maybe their first main movie ever. Okay, so makes sense. That's fun. Yeah. The only person is um, the character that plays... Uh, shoot. Why won't it show me? Uh, Michael Ward, whoever he plays, it's not popping up for me, but he was in the old guard earlier this year. That's, I was going to say, so. when I saw, I just pulled up the cast list too, and I was like, oh, Michael Ward. Okay, he's the one guy that I recognized. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so big year for him. Yeah, that's cool. Freaking awesome to be in a Gina Prince uh, Wood and Wood uh, movie and then a, a Steve McQueen movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Back to back. That was very cool. Yeah, it's great. Well, highly recommend. I, I now want to ask you both about the half movie that you both have seen, which is uh, Pedro Almodovar's, um what's it called? The Human Voice. The Human Voice. Um, so what, what did you guys... I'm curious. I want to... I'm not going to do this with every movie, but what was your past experience with Pedro Almodovar? Because, I mean, he's such a prolific and expert director what, what has been your guys's past experience leading up to this movie with it i have an embarrassingly small uh exposure to almodovar films i have i have seen two almodovar films unless i'm somehow forgetting one but the only two that i think i've seen um are obviously the one from last year pain and glory and then tie me up tie me down uh, which is kind of a, I don't know. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I know of all the ones. <laughs> That's not even his. I, I know. I, all about my mother, not You know vulgar. what? Um, back, oh gosh, years ago. So before there was a Criterion Channel, before there was a Filmstruck, um, in like the very early days of Hulu, Hulu the had a bunch ages. of criteria. In the dark ages, Hulu had Criterion 
uh, movies, and Time Me Up, Time Me Down is one of them. And so I was just like mm, on the okay. Hulu's, and like of course, like a of our movies, you look at the poster and it's all bright and colorful. And I was like, that's Antonio Banderas. <laughs> you know, sounds great. And I watched it, and uh, weird movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to put that out there. Um, but yeah, a bit dry, a bit heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are my only two: are Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and Pain and Glory. What about you, Nick? Mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, I was trying to count while we were talking, like maybe six-ish. So I, I actually haven't seen Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Um, I, Neither have I. <laughs> I loved uh, Pain and Glory last year. I thought that uh, was a fantastic I did too. movie. Um, I really love All About My Mother. Um, yes, that's the best one. What else? Fulver, uh, The Skin I Live In, which is weird. Uh, what Have I Done yes. to Deserve This, which is like one of his older movies from like the yeah. 80s. Mm-hmm. There's maybe one other. Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I haven't seen that. That's a big yeah, one. there's maybe one other that I'm not thinking of. But Broken so braces, yeah. So I've I've seen a handful. Um, but I mm-hmm. really liked. Um, I mean, I love all about my mother, and then Volver is a great kind of like it's sort of a Hitchcock, um, mm-hmm. uh, spinoff sort of or, or like uh, I guess tone who, homage. Who plays the lead in that movie? In Volver. Uh, Penelope yeah, Cruz. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. I could not remember her name. I just assume it's Penelope yeah, Cruz. She's so good in <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of the time it's Penelope Cruz in these movies. Yeah. Um, it's true. So, yeah, I've, I've seen a, a handful of his movies, but they do kind of like run the gamut from like Volver's sort of a thriller to more understated dramas to The Skin mm-hmm. I Live In, which that's a lot of. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of yeah. stuff going on in that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, so this one, I wasn't really, I mean, I'd read the plot synopsis and I sort mm-hmm. of knew like um, what it was about. So I had expectations going into it and they were it pretty much hit. Ex- it, it was the movie that I thought it was going to be really mm-hmm. like that. It was a small, like they shot it in quarantine. I yep. think unintentional, like they hadn't planned on, um, or they'd planned on, shooting it prior to all right. this happening so it wasn't yeah, it like wasn't a, like a quarantine mm-hmm. project where they decided they just yeah. moved forward despite quarantine and <laughs> took all precautions etc cetera, etc cetera. but it is um almost entirely just tilda swinton mm-hmm. so and, and i thought about this when you were talking about lovers rock too jenna mm-hmm. how it you sort of had like the experience that we talked about with um bloody nose empty pockets mm-hmm. where you're seeing all these people like doing things that we can't do socializing Mm -hmm. and being out at parties Um, Mm -hmm. how much have these movies been colored by like how much are you reading it through the quarantine lens because I tried not to with this one but it was was hard not to just knowing that behind the scenes even though I don't think it was intentional any of it Right. Yeah, I try I try really hard not to bring that. I mean, it's so it's impossible, right? Every yeah. every movie you watch, every book you read, whatever you are, it is in the context of the time that you are experiencing it. Um and now more than ever, as they say, like it's just it, it's just almost impossible. Um but yeah, I had a similar experience with this where I'd seen I remember how exciting it was when they were posting photos when they started filming it. And it was like, "Oh, this is going to be so cool." And they're like wearing masks on set and um so I went into that with some of it. And then, like you said, it's kind of like the opposite of Lover's Rock in a way where it's mostly just a woman all by herself in her house freaking out. (laughs) And so it was like, oh, no, this is too relatable content in some ways. 
But yeah, I I dug it. Like you said, it was pretty much what I expected. For anyone who doesn't know, it's based on a Jean Cocteau one-act play, apparently. Um, that wow. Yeah, and so it, which was staged, like, with just a woman on a stage and a telephone, and it, the short is basically filmed with just a woman in an apartment with AirPods in. <laughs> so it's very, I mean, it's, it's definitely modernized. Um, you know, yeah. she's, she's got all of her technology, and there's references to, you know, it obviously takes place in modern times. Um, there's also an extremely good dog in the movie. Very good um, dog. Worth shouting out a very what, good what dog. dog. Oh, what kind of dog was that? I don't know. Uh, one of those like black and gray and white ones. Yeah, some sort of like, <laughs> like, like I don't know, Never mind. like pelly sized. I don't know. It was. It's not like a little poodle or anything. It's like a nice sort of buddy looking dog. I don't know. Um, well, trying to look it up. With human voice dog, it's just a bunch of videos of yeah. dogs speaking. Like yeah, that's what I'm getting to. I know the dog did have its own like credit. It had a it had a credit. It had a funny name. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Oh really? The dog it is with in the, the credit. I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna find it. This is like very important to me. Yeah. Now, so yeah, we we have to give the dog its due. Yeah. See on on Letterbox, they only cast as Tilda yeah, Swinton, but there are other performers in the movie. They all, if to the extent they have lines at all, it's pretty much one line. Um, Mm. But are they just all on the phone too? No, um, they're sort of at the beginning and ending. There's some interactions. It's just gotcha. the bulk in the middle that is um, just uh-huh. her. So, and the thing, so part of the appeal of the performance, I think, is that you can't hear the other side of her phone call. So it's just her. All you're getting is her side. Uh, so she's telling this whole story. It's like this very long monologue, you know, that she's uh-huh. giving. Wow. So she's very good. Um, uh, Almodovar is going to do so much with this. Yeah, she's very good. She looks great. Um, I mean, it's an Almodovar movie. The colors just like pop off the screen at you. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell people if you. Do you like the color red? Love it. Love the color red. Love the color green. I was going to um, say, there's some great greens in this movie. There, Yeah, there's some mm-hmm. really good. And it does plays plays with the set, like literally, you know, sort of the way she moves mm. through it and everything. So it goes from sort of very real to very abstract. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I have no idea how it's going to be available outside the festival, but yeah. I'm sure it'll be somewhere. I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the other thing, like, since we're talking about the set, it's actually, like, very overtly a set. Like, it's blatantly, right. you see, like, Ooh. the camera will go up and you will see that it's Open a set. Open over the you walls. Will see, yeah, yeah, there's no ceiling. Um, you see that it's on, like... Not a soundstage, but it, it looks like it's Probably in like a, a warehouse or something. Yeah, a warehouse. Yeah. Um, and then, like, parts of the walls on the outside are just, like, wood. Like plywood, yeah. Yeah. It um, feels it feels like a acknowledgement to the fact that it's very stagey, you know, that it's mm-hmm. staged like a play would be a little bit. Yeah, and the movie, too, is... I mean, I wrote about this on Letterboxd a little bit, but mm-hmm. the movie is about, like, the facades that the yes. main character puts up and kind of breaking them down and like we see the actual facade of, of mm-hmm. this set in the movie so it, it's interesting yeah. the the one like not even drawback just like it, it was it was good it's it's obviously like beautifully shot and very well acted i don't know that it really is saying that much that interesting though in like her no. relationship it's pretty like her it's about the dissolution of of her or like just after the dissolution of her her uh, affair that she's been having um, I don't know that it really gives you much new about any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. I think 
the takeaways for me were definitely her performance she's and the great. aesthetics. And I think that that's enough for me to recommend it. But I do agree that it's not it's not really blowing you away with its revelations about heartbreak <laughs> or mm. anything like that. It just is a very well-performed, good-looking brief story. Yeah. I was, and it has the goodish dog. Yeah. Good I found your picture. It's a goodish See, one. it's a very good dog. It looks like some sort of like Australian sheep yeah, dog. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I only can see like just the head of it while she's in like an a apartment store. Or not an apartment, a department yeah. store. Yeah, yeah. and I was a bit on edge because she buys something in the department store and she has the dog she with sure her. And I, was like, I was like, oh, oh no. G- oh, I did not think that, that those two things were wrong. <laughs> I was on edge because she, she goes to the store to buy something at the beginning that leads you to be concerned about what's going to happen next. I... It didn't even occur to me that the dog was in any danger, but now that does have a sense of foreboding. It's what well, I know that's like Nick's main yeah, frustration. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one is. Of, um, one of my friends yeah. has this saying where she says that um, anytime she sees someone like with an axe, mm-hmm. she assumes that something bad is going to happen with it. So, sure. do you guys, have you guys both seen The Witch? Oh, yeah. The, yes. The Vivitch. Yeah, yeah the, the Vivitch. The Vivitch. Yeah. So when he's when he's like chopping wood just for uh-huh. a super long amount of time, yeah. she said she was like losing her mind because um, <laughs> the entire time she assumed I mean, that, like this is going to be the the time where uh, he he accidentally chops off a finger or something. And granted, yeah. terrible things happen. But I I was going to say every frame of that movie yeah, is me expecting something terrible to happen. Yeah. I think I think the axe was a red herring. Like right. Other, yeah. Yes. That's other true. very that's not terrible you, things happen, but right. I think the axe is totally uh, I, uninvolved. Right. Yeah. No. And which is one of the good things. I like that in movies in general, not just red herrings. But yeah, something like The Witch, where everything gives you a sense of foreboding. It's like, no, this guy is not going to, you know take an axe to everybody but uh something maybe worse happened so mm-hmm. there's that children singing happy songs very creepily <sighs> kids are so creepy those kids are so creepy I've the creepiest my oh my god <laughs> i haven't i've watched that movie exactly one time uh showed it at it's a ha- so showed it at a halloween like- party the first uh or whatever the first year would have been it's like two years ago three years ago however old it mm-hmm. is now um and traumatized some people so that was fun yeah, I only Everyone just nope. Did up. you watch it with subtitles? I think so. I think I think we did. I think I think that had been recommended to me. Yeah, cuz I mean between that and the lighthouse, I've only seen both in the theaters and I really do need to watch both at home with subtitles oh. so I can find out what those movies I can't are actually not about. watching the lighthouse with oh, Yeah, I only saw the lighthouse in theaters too now yeah, that I, I would, think about it. I'd love to know what the plot of that movie is. Yeah, we are we are very far afield, but I saw the lighthouse in theaters um, on a like two movie day, which is a thing that I used we used to do on Saturdays, which was go to f- pick a the theater and pick two movies and then like hang out at the restaurant or bar, or whatever in between. And so I saw the lighthouse at the Alamo in downtown L.A. after having seen Ford versus Ferrari in the morning, <laughs> having <laughs> lunch at the Alamo bar, and then watching the lighthouse afterwards. It was a, a it was a day. choice double feature. Yeah, you you could have made a good profile piece of like. The relationship between two men. I was gonna say that. Oh sure, scenario. dude. Yeah. Like dude movies. Yeah, the- but but it's like specifically like two dudes sort of pairing, sort of antagonizing. Right. 
each other. Yeah, I wish I could say that um, was a conscious decision. Really what it was is my obsessive need to see anything that might be nominated for an award. And so being like, okay, yeah. what's in the theater? What's leaving? What do I have to get before it goes away? Guess it's Ford versus Ferrari and The Lighthouse today. <laughs> okay, I have, a qu- I have a quick off-topic oh, question God. again. Okay. But seeing as we just talked about uh, the Vivich mm-hmm. and... Uh, this uh, Pedro Milder mm-hmm. movie with the dog. What are your guys some of your favorite animal performances in a movie? Animal performances. I don't know. Or the and this the seagull in Lighthouse is up there too. I sure. Believe, Good so I believe the dog is named Winky, um, and I oh, I think so both of his or maybe hers. I don't oh. I don't know. Um, performances are from the same year, but the dog from Game Night and the dog from uh, Widows. That- that dog's right. oh, that dog, oh, that dog that is dog's name is Olivia. How dare you? What, who's um, Winky then? Is that the name <laughs> of the character? I think Winky's the dog in. Um, I am looking this up only because, as Dylan knows, I watched Game Night last night, um, yes. and so I have that dog fresh on the brain. Um, Olivia, the dog, an American West Highland Terrier. Um, her the dog's name is Bastion in Game Night. Um, Oh, and then in Widows, just also named Olivia. So I don't know where you got Winky from. Where did I get Winky? From? Oh, oh, I know what it. I know exactly what Winky's from. Oh no. I, I'm. Let me let me verify that I'm okay. not like losing my. Well, mind. while you're saying that, I was gonna say that was what I was gonna say too. Was I was gonna call out Olivia because obviously great in Widows, um, and then just <laughs> just the acting of just being held by Jesse Plemons throughout Game Night is so good. Just stellar, stellar well, work. What, how about being held by like Daniel Kaluuya and oh, yeah. Tyree Henry where oh. they threatened to murder? I know. It's. I mean, that dog is just great at being it's... held by very good actors. <laughs> Okay, I've I've always wanted an Oscar category where it's like animal performance, like the Palm the Dog. Give it to the but they do it Palm, yeah. palm the the cans, yeah. the Palm Dog, yeah, yeah, uh, and and have it like go to the trainers and the sure. dog or the animal that's that one they were. Winky is the name of the terrier that uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara oh, have. Of course, oh. of course, yeah. Show winning dog this is why it sounded familiar. Yeah, um, I think also. Another one that comes to mind is Warhorse from Warhorse. Sure. That movie is just literally the horse. It's a good horse. That's the main character, basically. What about the Turin horse? That, that... Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's that's a. I'm just gotten a lot sadder now, but that's fine. I'm guessing. I'm guessing nothing good happens to. Uh... Nothing it's good happens to anything in any of that dude's movies. Well, okay, that's fair enough. It's like apocalyptic seriously that like relatively speaking that or that horse actually had like a pretty good run hmm. i don't think i don't even remember if the horse no, like where, what happens the dog. To, there's the dog there yeah. look at that good dog it's a great dog oh it's the best of dogs oh, we have a little scratches that's so cute all right I don't, we have definitely gone far afield yeah i don't even remember what happens to the horse and the turn horse it's just implied that everyone's gonna die and that the world is a, yeah, a windy and dusty desolate place and it will never end, and everyone will end. Yeah. Man, you guys are right. I so, really got to watch that movie. It's a, <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a Bella Tar movie. I know, like, I know. I'm pretty sure that it's shorter than uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that means that's three hours long. I think it's only so. like two hours and 40 minutes, okay. so. Fair enough. Nothing happening except wind and trying to walk to a well and more wind and so on. It's just the purest form of nihilism is Bellator movies. Yeah. 
hellish. Anyway, back to the films yes. you saw at the festival. Back to the festival films. So, Nick, you saw two more movies, correct? No, only one more. Uh, just Nomadland? Okay, let, let, let me, let, let's go back to Jen. Okay, yeah. I will just what, quickly... What was another So, I, I, other than Nomadland, um, the other two movies that I watched were two documentaries, um, both oh, super right. uplifting. Um, I watched MLK <laughs> FBI, which, uh, good, a really interesting movie about basically how the FBI had it out for MLK. Um you know, it's very, very, it's a, every time I talk about this movie, I feel like I'm being harder on it than I mean to be. It's really a good watch, and I definitely recommend it. But it's also just a super conventional documentary, very, you know, narration over archival footage, um, but really slickly put together, um, tells the story really compellingly, uses some interesting, not just archival footage of real things that happened but also like old portrayals of the fbi and movies and tv shows and then i think there's some brief reenactments also not ostentatious but just sort of added in for to like illustrate something that's being described that they don't have footage of like the fbi you know planting bugs and wiretapping all of uh, mlk's houses which just saying that out loud just describes yeah the exact problem yeah of exactly um and it's l- largely about Basically how the FBI was trying to get dirt on MLK because they were worried he was a communist. And then so they started surveilling him. And then turns out that, you know, whether or not he was a communist wasn't the problem. But they found out that he was just having affairs all over town. And then they were like, well, now we've struck gold and we can use this against him. And we can use this to discredit him and tarnish him in America's eyes. Which, you know, I don't think really ended up being successful. I don't think I even knew about a lot of this stuff until college, probably. Um, mm-hmm. But like many a documentary I enjoy, my main takeaway was, oh, this will just definitely be shown in classrooms. Like, this would be, I would be psyched if, you know, I watched a lot of bad documentaries. Uh, I was a history major in college. Um, and so oh, for, between God. high school and college, I watched a lot of bad documentaries in classes, and this would be a very good one to watch. So mm-hmm. uh, do recommend that, but the even better documentary I watched is a movie called Time that is about um, a family where the husband and father has been incarcerated for two decades and his wife's struggle to raise their family and also uh, work for his freedom and for prison abolition in general. And it's just this amazing portrait of this woman um, who I believe her full name is Sybil Fox Richmond, but she also goes by Fox Rich. And she, um, her and her husband, basically, when they were young, uh, got into a money bind and made a rash decision to just try to rob a credit union and did not pull it off. And it was her and him and another family member. She was just the driver, which is like, this is a super common story for um, women who end up incarcerated. She was just a getaway driver, but they got caught. No one got injured. No, they didn't get away with any money. Um, and due to plea deals and not plea deals and things like that, uh, her husband got sentenced to 60 years in prison uh, without <laughs> without parole for an attempted robbery where no one got hurt and no money got stolen. Um, she got sentenced to nine years because she pled guilty, and then she only served, I believe, three and then was let out. Um, but the movie just documents her struggle to raise they have, I think, five sons, maybe, um, and to raise them and fight for his freedom. And it really, 
apparently the story behind the movie is that the director went to her to make a short film about her and her story. And so they spent some time filming her and the family to tell this story. And then after they filmed this, the stuff that was going on, uh, this, this woman, the subject of the movie, said to the director, you know, I have like 25 years of home footage. Is that something you'd be interested in reviewing? <laughs> and the director was like, yeah, I'll take a look at that. And then she, it just turns out she'd just been documenting on video their entire lives, you know, throughout this whole process. And so it's woven together. It jumps back and forth through time. And the, the different uh, people involved talk a little bit what, about what time means to them and how they've experienced it. And it's just really moving and it kind of sneaks up on you because it just builds and builds and it can be very repetitive because they're just trying to make it through and you get really invested in what's going to happen and it has a phenomenal ending um, and I can't wait for people to see it. Um, It also was acquired by maybe Amazon, I think. It has a release date coming up, so it will be available to stream before the end of the year. I feel like Amazon and Netflix have just been racking. I mean, because right? they're the only ones that can do anything with them. I'm gonna just confirm. Okay. How it's going to be available? Because I really want people to watch it, and I think it's gonna be available pretty soon. Um. That sounds like it's just gonna be a. It premiered at Sundance. Um, it was acquired by Amazon Studios. It'll be available on Prime Video on October 16th. So. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. Up. Yep, it'll be out soon. Yeah, strongly recommend. Um, I had been worried that it would be a very hard sit. Um, and it is intense, but it's not, like, grueling. It's just, like, very emotionally oh. intense, but it's not punishing. It's not grueling. Um, I was super worried about that and was pleasantly surprised at how they sort of pulled it off. So, yeah, check it out. Knowing how high you are on this doc, mm-hmm. how do you think it ranks in the pat- like? The most recent best docs that you have encountered. Good question. I I have such a mixed reputation or reputation, Jesus, a mixed uh, relationship <laughs> with docs. Um, like, for instance, we've talked about the Mister Rogers one, right? Like, which I yes. I have a weakness when it comes to documentaries that I'm not always great about separating out sort of my feelings about the subject versus the filmmaking itself. You know, Um, and so like the Mr. Rogers documentary, I don't know that there was anything unique about how that movie was made at all. It's super uh, conventional, Mm -hmm. but it's very emotionally affecting. So I liked it quite a bit. Um, I really liked Free Solo from a couple of years ago. Um, (laughs) But that that was an instance where and I don't know that I like Alex Honnold or anything like no, thank you. Although he did go to high school in my hometown, like right around the same time I did. But I did not know him. Um, would he although, like climb on top of the school? And... <laughs> Sadly, no. Although he does have some friends in common with my cousin who is a rock climber. So, but anyway, um, I tend to like really personal stories, I think, in documentaries. I'm trying to remember. So time was up your alley. Yeah, so time was right up my alley. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I know a couple years ago when Icarus won Best Documentary, which I watched that movie and thought it was interesting and liked it. And I remember it be. I remember being furious at what it beat. Is it Minding the Gap? That must Was that the Minding the Gap year? Maybe. Like, Minding the Gap is another great example. I love Minding the Gap. And I think yeah. you're, you're really high that's on that, right? Yeah, I think, oh my God, I think you'll like time. I think it has a lot of similarities to Minding the Gap. Well, specifically in how it uses old home footage 
combined with yeah, now like talking the, to the people the in current day and the subject doing the filming. Um, so mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that till you brought it up, but it, it has a similar, you know, similar gotcha. vibe to that. Ugh, Minding the Gap so good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't normally seek uh, out documentaries. I really only started once I got Oscar obsessive. Um, but it's been rewarding. It's like sort of forcing myself to watch them because I want to be able to have opinions about the rewards chances. Yeah. Um, so Nick, what was the last movie you had seen? Uh, the only other movie that I saw was the movie that we all saw last night. Right. But I think we're ready to talk oh. about cause that's yeah. the only last one I gotcha. uh, <laughs> saw as good. well. Um, so I think we should start with our history with, uh, well, I thought her name was, I thought you pronounced her name Chloe Zhao, but I'm hearing it's a lot of pronunciation. Yeah, I think it's pronounced it Jaw. Like Jaw. 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 Yeah. Okay, good to yeah, know. Yeah, which I, everybody learned. to the Big Picture podcast this past week, I was like, Jaw. Every, Jaw. Every, it's one of those things that everybody learned all of a sudden. Like, I think she gave an interview where the interviewer actually said, and it, you know, she clarified it's pronounced like Jaw, because every podcast I listen to has been doing the same thing, where they're mm-hmm. like, I used to say Zhao, and now it's Jaw. Okay. So we, we all collectively, to... it's not, we all collectively <laughs> learned in the past two weeks that that's how it's pronounced. I forget where it was. I saw it on Twitter. Maybe it was Variety, but um, she said that one of the things that, like, drew her to uh francis mcdormand or like one thing she loved about her is that she like never mispronounced her name sure okay interesting i can see chloe that Shaw. I, I want chloe Shaw to like me so <laughs> i'm gonna make sure i get that right as right as possible i'm sure no um, one's so ever mispronounced your name dylan right yeah you can't oh, relate to that all at all <laughs> um so actually i'm gonna take this part and move it back but i just want to say um icarus did not be minding oh, the gap what did it be Icarus beat Faces and Places by. Oh, that's so. That's what I was mad about was Faces Places. Okay. Yeah, that's boo. Yeah. Um, and Free Solo beat Minding the Gap. Oh, that's okay. what it was. So. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was because it I was. Think, t- I think you need to take a side here. It was, it was I think like, I wasn't. It was <laughs> that the, was the so, extreme. No, no. It was the extreme sporting. Sports. Uh, as, right. As a metaphor for like toxic masculinity. But right, yeah, the, the words got really into that. No, I mean I like Minding the Gap better than Free Solo. <laughs> I like Minding the Gap better than Free Solo, but I like Free Solo way better than Icarus. Mm. Um, just to put those in order. I just I, I don't get free solo. Really? But anyway, oh my God, so good. Sorry. I I was so f- well. I was nauseated during it, and I was. That's a movie. Not I'm glad happy I with the filmmaking or the story. Or... That's a movie. I'm glad I didn't see on the big screen because uh, yikes. Oh my God. Yeah. Didn't that come to like? Some, it came like, to some IMAXs. IMAX theaters. Yeah. And I if if I was in an IMAX theater, I probably would have. Yeah, yeah. It is vertigo inducing, and I don't really have vertigo, so. All right, back it up. Thank you for thank you for fact checking me. Cloja. Yes. Um, so, what is your guys' experience with uh, Cloja in the past with her movies, and even seen as she's not this? this I don't want to be like this is her breakout movie, but she, she is a generally new director. I think she only has two releases under her belt that. Were, got to a production company and then one that she independently mm-hmm. produced is if, if i'm correct that there sounds um, correct but total a total of three movies um so 
not a not like we usually do with the Ebert movies where we the, the directors have all this time before mm-hmm. and after it that they have movies from. But so what, just generally, what are your guys's uh, past with her films? I had not seen any of her movies before. I did not see the writer um, for reasons at the time. I can't I can't remember why. I think the sad part was I was just prioritizing other movies and did not get to it's it. It's also a sad movie channel. Yeah, it looked sad. But I mean, like, I knew Nomadland was going to be sad, too. And that did not stop me from wanting to watch it. Um, no, yeah, I had a lot of opportunities. I mean, the writer, I'm pretty sure, is sitting on Amazon Prime. Um and easily oh not anymore okay well it was for a long time like on my watch list and then I just did not catch up with it but obviously I'd heard very good things um you know followed along when she was picked to direct Eternals which remains an absolutely fascinating choice that I can't wait to see that I hope they don't just like suck the lifeblood out of anything she would do but we will see um, but yeah, this was my first time at, actually. At the watching. end of this podcast, I really want to discuss like what the heck is she going to do with I, ten billion dollars and uh, and uh, uh, like a galactic Marvel. I yeah, I yes. I have questions. It's not even like oh well, this is a real you know down to earth. No, literally not. Um, but and then yeah. like in the past, she most of her movies are. Uh, Kind of like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier today, like American neorealist, where it's all mm-hmm. like people, not necessarily playing themselves, but playing like the lived kind of experiences. That they are. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in this movie, in, in, in Eternals, it's like Kit Harrington and Angelina Jolie and Richard <laughs> Madden yeah, and Kumail Nanjiani and Brian Tyree Harry. It's going to be Sel- a whole Sel- journey. Sel- it's just going to yeah, be crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming both of you guys had seen. Uh, the writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good movie. Uh, uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, it's so an incredible movie. That's the only of her movies I've seen. I haven't seen the um, her debut film, but the writer is really good. It's uh, like I was saying to you guys off air. It's a movie that um, I liked it. Didn't like go crazy over it after I watched it um, initially, but just the more and more I sat with it, the more. Uh, especially one part, I don't want to give it away, but there's a part where he's visiting his friend at the end, and if people know what I'm talking about, then um, it's just, like, one of the, like, most transcendental uh, scenes that uh, I think has been in a movie in the last decade or so. So it, it kind of, like, cr- climbed up my own personal mm-hmm. uh, favorite movies of the 2010s, just, you know, sitting with it and thinking about it. I've only seen it the one time still, but it's a, a very good movie. It's very similar to this in a lot of ways where it's about kind of people yeah. on the you know the the margins of society that movie is um all non-professional actors uh similar to this movie's i believe all but two non-professional actors it seems like mm-hmm. yeah pretty much and that one also has like uh an element where it's almost a documentary in that the guy is basically playing a fictionalized, like a thinly fictionalized version of himself. Mm-hmm. And his sister is playing his sister and his dad is playing his dad. Um, so that so yep. that movie has that extra element. This one doesn't, like maybe it does have that. Because I, I didn't get a chance to look into like the making of. But I got mm-hmm. the sense, especially there's a, a speech that um, a character named, is his name Bob? Bob makes at the end where is he an actor 
Or is no. he just... No. Okay. Bob Wells. He, I said he, Wells. It's Bob a, Wells. That, he has his own YouTube channel, and he, he is actually, like, the leader yeah. of that. I don't remember what the group was called, but, like, he's, like he was literally just doing his job okay. in that movie. And, and that's kind of what I got the sense of. He tells a story that I feel like Oof. is probably true. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that for a fact. If right, I mean, I, don't I. It's like I. I hope it's not. If it is true, I, I mean, if it is just fictional for the movie, then that guy's like an astounding actor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really. But the, so this movie does some similar things mm-hmm. in terms of uh, those behind the scenes type. Uh, yeah. Right, and also the the main character's friend plays himself as a person that got hurt in an accident, a rodeo accident. In the oh, in um, the writer, he yeah. he he himself is also right. Like, I I don't remember exactly if like he's paralyzed. I think from like the waist down, and he has like nervous system problems. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. that keeps him in the hospital a lot of the time. He was um, yeah. He was in in the movie. They said that it was. Um, or I don't even know if they say it overtly. It's implied, at least, that he was also injured in a rodeo accident, like the protagonist. In real life, it, I, th- I believe it was a car accident. So it was just sort of... Oh, It was sort of coincidental. But, I mean, for the narrative purposes, it, it, it fits. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore the writer. Um, it is a movie that stuck a little too close to home. And... Something I've mentioned is the ending of the writer is one of the most intense film endings I have ever seen. And that's not necessarily the traditional sense that, like, you know, people have guns and they're, like, <laughs> trying to stalk each other out or you something don't, like the end of the third man. Or you anything. don't find out the main character was dead the whole time or anything like that. Doesn't have a big, <laughs> no. uh, big no, twist. No, no. Okay. <laughs> no, but, it, like, the whole movie kind of builds up to one decision and it's just, like, what this character is going to do with this decision was just it was overwhelming and i'm just chloe jaw knows like just how to take a story and how to move these characters through it with such like ease and understanding and i think that leads right into nomadland mm-hmm. where we encounter francis mcdormand's fern mm-hmm. um so on let me do a quick check Okay, the current Gold Derby odds uh, for Best Actress this year, Frances McDormand comes in at two, um, with an odds of a four to one. Behind? Chance to win. Vanessa Kirby. Behind Viola Davis uh-huh. in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, okay. Which still hasn't even seen the light of audience right. yet. Um, Vanessa Kirby is actually currently sixth, oh. but I'm assuming after the last uh, New York Film Festival plays, she's going to go up. Probably above maybe Jennifer Hudson in Respect or Amy Adams in Hillbilly Elegy. Is Respect Elegy. still coming out? I mean, I guess it must be. I don't know. I know. It's all a shrug. And There's and, a lot of movies that are And the are eligibility like, window maybe. goes to February, so it could come out in January yes. or February. So, okay. I'm going to yeah. stop asking that question and just we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you guys think of Frances McDormand's performance, and how do you think it kind of compares to her two major Oscar runs in Fargo and three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I mean, I thought she was fantastic in this movie. It's really hard not to compare this performance to those ones, I think, just because she is so distinct. And it's not that she does the same... Mm -hmm. It's not that she does the same thing at all. Those three characters are... They're honestly three 
performances that are completely right. different from each right. other. Right. I I totally agree. There are three performances that are completely different from one another, but there's just something about like you can you can see how they're sort of tied together just through her like her performance style that is so like assured and so like she's mm-hmm. has such a commanding screen presence for me that you know she's just a phenomenal leading actor um and i i think this role i mean it sort of i guess falls between on the spectrum of you know the other two movies where in fargo she's just like the embodiment of good and you know and she's 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 determined Silly. but you know she's goofy but she's gonna get the job done and then you have her character in three billboards which i don't know i don't i don't hate three billboards i had fun when i was watching it and then it just it really does not sit well with you when you think about it for too long oh, um, i am too like some people were really like i mean it was entertaining i wasn't yeah. about to give it best picture but right yeah, I wasn't mad at it. I, I saw it in the, the I saw it in the theater, and it was like a fun watch. And then, yeah, you spend too much time thinking about it. You're like, well, we don't we don't need to give this best picture. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, but that performance is very it's pretty dark. Like she's extremely she's and she's mm-hmm. haunted in Nomadland, but she's she's angry in Three Billboards. Like that's her defining characteristic is anger in that movie. Where in this one, it's just sort of being haunted by you know these. Yes. Yeah. She plays loss and reaction to loss in different ways. Um, but I thought she was great. I mean, this movie, it's interesting to compare it. Haven't seen the writer. But basically, it sounds like this film is very similar, but just with a movie star at the center. It's like, what if we examine yeah. this world, but we just take a talented movie star, put her in the middle of it, and sort of tell the story by following her? And I, I think that decision really paid off. I mean in a cynical practical sense that's probably why this it's definitely why this movie is getting so much more attention and um yes, you know absolutely. awards buzz and a higher profile um you know of course it is but she and she's also well cast because she she blends in so well she does not that's what i was gonna right. say one of the one of the biggest achievements is just she doesn't seem different no, not at all. from the other people. not at all that comes from the performance and the script and right the that's she it's that she plays the naturalism to go along with everybody's inher- else's inherent naturalism um, in a way that, yeah, I totally pulled it off. I was blown away. Nick? Yeah, she, I mean, she's, uh, like, maybe the, uh, maybe not the stand-up performance of the year for me because we still do have Adele Roy Lindo from a few months ago. But, I mean, yeah. she's That's true. she's so fantastic in this. And, like you were saying, her three um, – like it, her her two past Oscar winning performances, mm-hmm. and then now this, which is certainly uh, going to be, I think, in strong contention. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're so different. I was talking about it with Nelly after we watched them, and I was saying that she's sort of like, at least the expanse between all of those performances mm-hmm. is sort of like Daniel Day Lewis in the three movies that he's yeah. won Oscars really? for, like completely unrecognizable, like mm-hmm. Lincoln. Is no, is nothing like Daniel Plainview, and in this, you know, honestly, like it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, like the the goodness of America of the bad versus America. Yeah, for, like Fern is nothing like Marge Gunderson, but then <laughs> conversely, she's nothing like uh, 
whatever her name is from. I was going to say, can you uh, pull the name of the character from Three Billboards? Because I cannot. Uh, no. Ebbing? Was her name Ebbing? <laughs> Ebbing. I know, I know Chief Willoughby. That's the only name, and I only know it from the meme. From, so. yeah, from, that was quite a name, yeah. though. It, her name was uh, Mildred Hayes. Oh, there was no sure. universe in which I was going to remember that. That does not yeah. even God, sound that familiar. Oscar best, that Best Actress category that you were... Yeah, she, it's, 27, I, I, it's 2017, right? She be, beat Saoirse and Lady Bird. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? She beat Saoirse. Well, she, okay. Meryl Streep, The Post, and Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water are the two that are like, those are very good performances. But Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird mm-hmm. and Margot Robbie and Aitana. Yeah. Just that like, ca- those are two. That category was. Arguably two of the best 10 actress performances of the decade. Yeah, that category honestly. was wildly stacked. And I know I'm higher on The Post than you guys, but I do mm. think. Um, even if you're not high on the post overall, like Meryl's so good in that movie. Like she's, oh, you know, really good like, in that movie. I, I, she was never going to win that award um, for if, eight if, million if reasons. I'm saying but Sally Hawkins and Meryl I know. are kind of the, the, the bench players <laughs> right. in the category. It's just and, like the, and, the other and three. And Sally are Hawkins great. carried a Best Picture winner that year. So like, yeah, that that was a, a Where insanely she had sex stacked. With a fish. Sure did. Yeah, that was an insanely insanely Who stacked year. Us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's. I think I wouldn't have been. Annoyed with that win um, if it weren't for beating Sersha, probably. Um, yeah. Or even Margot. Even Mar- Margot, too. Um, I'm, I'm kind of still frustrated that, like, Janny got most of the recognition in Itania yeah. instead of. But still, I love Elsa and Janny. Yeah. Glad yeah, exactly. I'm happy that she has one. It's like, fine. I don't. But I don't Robbie was love just, that performance. I don't love the performance either. I love Alice yeah. and Janney. I don't love that performance. Yeah, I mean that's that. Yeah. I think that's a very that that should have been Laurie Metcalf's. Oh Oscar. yeah, no that that and oh and that Metcalf was. That's insane. why that wins even worse because it's yeah. like you know if, if you're gonna compare the two or, bad moms, you could give, you gave it you know I should, I should not call her a bad mom in Lady Bird. No, She's not no, a bad Laurie mom. Metcalf. But the the. The She's fraught, fraught mother relationships, uh, they That's went the fair. wrong way on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they kind of went the, the generic. Yeah, the sort of e- easy evil mom. Yeah. I'm going to guess you guys will not say that this is a hot take. Um, Try me. But I'm just going to throw it out there. Sam Rockwell won that year. And I, we've talked about Sam Rockwell went f- very quickly from being Wins like the most underrated to the most, like overrated. the most overrated. I mean, like gotta have set a record to going from just beloved and underrated to like, just, like get flip, out of here. Flip the switch. <laughs> yeah. But he's not even, I, I thought that Woody Harrelson was better than him. And I agree. Oh, Woody Harrelson was so much better. Than um, okay. Also and that, not even counting in, all the problems with the Sam Rockwell character himself. Like, Woody Harrelson was still just a the better Yeah, that's, that's so yeah. good in that movie. Um, the fact that, uh, that I, I literally cannot talk about Willem Dafoe not winning that Oscar without getting, like, that, that it's like stupid. flames. It's like the actual flames. Um, it's <laughs> flames one of, like, the greatest on the side performances in one of the greatest movies. Um, you know, yeah. Spe- I, and, of course, I was going to bring up Willem Dafoe also, because Willem Dafoe does a similar, although not exact, same thing in... Florida project that um uh oh my god Jesus Francis McDormand does here whereas like I'm a huge big time actor and like the skill that it takes to act you know to act against people who aren't actors themselves yeah it's a it's a that's a real skill I think but yeah (sighs) also Leslie Manville was nominated against Allison Janney in the Phantom Thread Mm -hmm. 
If you're not going to give it to Metcalf, yeah. like yeah, give it to Manville. God, that was such a good Oscar right year. We talked cool. about how bad twenty. We talked about Oscar. how bad 2014 was. 2017, 2016, and 2017 were both so good. Um, n- none of the none of the winners are well. Great, no, though. that yeah, you, you got, got Daniel Day Lewis in Phantom Threat and Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out and, and Timothy Chalamet and Call Me by Your Name. Oh, and Timothy Chalamet in Good. Because we had Which, to give that would definitely be a third for yeah. me. Yeah, but, but because we had to give Gary Oldman an Oscar for wearing a fat suit. Like I don't did, even. I did, like darkest. Did we? I like darkest hour, but that that oh, is really? an infuriating <laughs> Oscar. I mean, it's such a right movie. I I thought it was well made. I like you know whatever. I'm not mad at that movie, but that Oscar win is infuriating. <laughs> That's I will be probably bad. the only bad <laughs> Joe Wright movie. I will. I will be bad. I, I love Joe Wright. Movie. Um, <laughs> well, th- that year also like. Like you said, all all of those performances mm-hmm. I, I I would have given over um, Gary Oldman, but Best Actress. Mm-hmm. How did Vicky Creeps not get in there? Yeah, yeah. But yep. Gosh, the most so the most absurd snub is Michael Stuhlbarg not getting nominated yeah. for Call Me by Your Name. Speaking I of mean, like what God. might have been the performance oh. of the year, yeah. And R- Richard Jenkins in Shape of Water he, got nominated over him. I mean, I like, I like Ricky Jenkins. Nothing, nothing against yeah. Richard Jenkins. Ricky but, Jenkins is awesome. Yeah. But like in that movie, he was he was very yeah. good. They just were, were so all in on that movie, obviously, yeah. that yeah, he just, he just that was and, riding the tide of that an eventual Best Picture win. And we, and we all knew Gary Oldman was getting that Oh, oh it was locked in from not, Toronto or wherever. They, they messed up not giving it to him for Tinker Tailor Ugh, Soldier Spy, which seriously. is probably Gary Oldman. Who won that year? That's like... Is that 2015? Oh God, okay. <laughs> Guys, we've, we've gone... <laughs> Off the rails, but it's fine. I, it's fine. I don't care. This is... <laughs> this is important. I wasn't sure... If we would have too much to talk it's about, and I'm having a great time talking it's today. It's fine. Uh, and again, we I, we talked about this off air, but and, and I don't know, maybe we should have said something at the beginning. We're purposefully not talking details about Nomadland because there's a lot of individual moments yeah. in that movie. Like a lot of what I want to say about it is about individual moments that I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Ruin. You can't spoil it. It's not a plotty movie. She drives all over the country <laughs> as a nomad, um, but there's just and then she continues. Right, driving. exactly. She goes to a place, then she goes to another place. Oh. She sees some people, then she sees some people again. Um, oh no! I think you have some bad news for us about. Uh... <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna list out the actors that were nominated the same. Okay. Year. What year is this, by the way? Is this 2013, 2015? It's 12. 12. Oh. So I'm. I'm gonna build. Up, I'm gonna because I've seen most of the okay. movies. Um, Domain Bashir, A Better oh, Life. Sure, hey. Which I believe you've seen. Yes, Jonah, I'm right? the only one, I think. He's very good. I, I yeah. love Damien Bashir. I mean, that was a wild nomination. Nobody saw that movie. Um, but I like him. <laughs> no one saw that coming. I remember watching the nominations announcement. Everyone just the whole gasp. Gasped. Yeah. Um, anyway, continue. Um, George Clooney and the Descendants. Which, mm, yeah, whatever. Good, jo- good George Clooney. I, I have good. not seen that movie. Um, and I probably will never do so. That's all right. It's an Alexander yeah. Payne movie. Like that's all yeah. you need to know. Yeah. And starring an older, like grudgy old yeah. man. Yeah, sure. Uh, there you go. Uh, Brad Pitt and Moneyball. Oh, which mm. is like Brad Pitt's. Just that's like the best Brad Pitt. Yeah. It arguably is the best Brad Pitt performance. Yeah. Gary Goldman and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, which is also possibly Gary Oldman's best performance. He somehow reigns it in and right. stays insane at the same time. And then our winner. Jean Dujardin in oh, The right. Artist. I always forget that The Artist <laughs> exists and won all those awards. Oh, so this was actually the movie year. 
is this the movie year of 2011 or the movie year of 20? I think it's the movie year of 2011 year awards of in 2012. Yeah, it's a 2012. Because I was like, wait, 2012 was Argo. But yeah, no. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Ugh. That was a... Jean Dujardin. That was, that was um, not the best Oscars. That w- that's a call. Yeah. That's a call over I mean, Oldman and Pitt. I, again... I saw the artist in the theater. I had a good time watching the it's artist fun, in the theater. It's a fun movie. Artist it's a, is a, it's fun a very movie. fun movie. Um, but it's a fun man. performance. It's not it a, a bad... It's I don't a think fun it's a bad performance. performance. Oh, if it got nominated, I would be, have been yeah. pleased with yeah. it. Like, but, I, I mean, <laughs> picture, director, pleased, actor, but. like, screenplay, I think... I, it's just yeah, the Oscars are going all in on the artist is extremely predictable. Um, but yeah. looking back, just... It's, I know it's so hacked to be like, no one talks about that movie anymore, but man, does nobody talk about that movie anymore. It just <laughs> never. Um, it's one of those movies that are only talked about when it's like, who did who who beat this right. person it's this such year? Who beat this movie for Best Picture? Trivia fact at this oh, point. Oh, it was the artist. Yeah. Again, fine movie, but yeah, weird, weird Oscar sort of domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strange. Anyway. Anyway, no Madland. Dorbitz won some Oscars. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, she's great. She's good. I, I take yeah. it you also enjoyed her performance in this movie, Dylan? Oh, my God. It just, I think it, it, it again comes back to, like, how well she didn't stand out from the mm-hmm. crowd. Like, I think I wrote in my Letterbox review, this is one of her lighter performances. Mm-hmm. She she can do a range, but kind of like Daniel Day Lewis, her range is usually like, she's like, tough, you know, gritty woman in Three Billboards, mm-hmm. or, you know, she's kind of the silly one in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Which, she's. I, I feel like I'm selling Marge Gunderson short because she shoots the bad guy and then goes home and talks politely then, about stamps with yeah, her husband. Yeah, no, she's an amazing character. So, so such a diverse role, mm-hmm. um, and she's also she also got nominated almost famous. Um, yeah, but she also like movie... speaking of goofy, by the way, because she's also in like we haven't even mentioned you know her performances in things like that are fully comedic, like Burn After Burn Reading after or Hail Ce- or Hail Caesar. She, she does so like she does physical comedy reading. in those movies. Yeah, um, I mean she's in she's in almost all not all the Coen Brothers movies, but you know a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's so good in Blood Simple. She's, like she's people who have good. not seen Blood Simple should watch it. That. I only caught up with it a couple of years ago, and I love it so much. Another mention of most intense movie endings also oh, yeah. got a go. Oh god, simple, which is that ending is horrifying. Yeah. Just but anyway, yeah. but like so, so Frances McDormand usually is like you know she's punching hard, mm-hmm. she's having fun with the role, yeah. she's going all in. Right. And and this movie, I was kind of afraid she'd almost like right. steal too much. The show. right sort of dominate but, everything. It's so understated, and okay, I, I'm I'm not gonna spoil it as much in the movie, but like, there's just scenes where she's just driving around this park in the, the little this little like golf mm-hmm. in the uh, golf cart, cart, yeah, you know, just picking up trash mm-hmm. and like having fun, smoking a cigarette, just, just like, like talking yeah, to people, and, she, and it's just like showing like how removed and sort of simple this lifestyle is, mm-hmm. and she's just so blending in yeah. with that sort of like tone that they're setting in the movie. And, it's incredible. And then she goes to other scenes where um, characters talk about trauma and suicide. I mean, and she really... Led to this sort of part of their yeah. life to become this. And they're, my, my favorite conversation is towards the beginning where she has it with a character named Swanky. Mm, Swanky. Who is about to depart in more ways than one. Um, it's 
I think Swanky's only in like two scenes, but uh, I think she's one of the biggest mentors mm-hmm. on the sort of lifestyle and the um, message right. behind the movie. Mm-hmm. And just when we talk about how the writer almost feels like a documentary, that scene almost felt like sort of an Errol Morris talking head mm-hmm. where they just had this person have a conversation. They just sort of like edited a talking head together and instead of just having to be this like edited documentary talking to Ed, it's just Francis McDormand and this nomad having a conversation together and it's so affecting and it transitions to a sort of montage scene where it's showing the sort of community and the sort of the nature there that's around them and she's all oh, that was mm-hmm. by far the most moving part of the movie for me yeah yeah swanky rules um i do also want to swanky i do also want to shout out my girl linda may linda um may, she yeah. she linda may is my favorite because she i mean unsurprisingly because she's just like the sweetest biggest hearted character in oh, the movie she's just so like sweet. she just brings joy like, there's not a ton of joy in this movie but i feel like every time linda may's around like there's this sense of how like and it's so much of this movie, like you were saying, is really Frances McDormand listening to people. Like, what she does so well. Like, yes. she, we only get bits and pieces of her story. She does eventually tell it. But for the most part, it's her, like, her past and her, how she came to be here is sort of revealed in pieces throughout. But she does spend a lot of time listening to people tell their stories. Um, and mm. so she spends a lot of time listening to just you know, sad stories about how, you know, people's lives. And a lot of them are very happy to be where they are, but, you know, they've come through difficult times. Um, But one of the things I like about the Linda May character is just uh, Fern, Francis McDormand's character, just always seems so happy, like, when they're together. And it makes me be like, don't, just just follow her. Just follow her. Just don't, don't, (laughs) stop nomading. Just go where she goes because you seem so happy when you're with her. And that's completely not the point of the movie. The point is that she needs to be on her own and and going on this journey. Um, But, yeah, I I enjoyed the sort of bits of connection and, you know, levity to the extent there's any levity in this movie. I feel like it's when they're hanging out together. I thought there was sort of, I mean, not a lot of levity. Like, we certainly don't get that many highs. But what I like about this movie is that um, I mentioned it's a lot like Leave No Trace in a, in a mm-hmm. way. It's it's yeah. like the uh, it's like the act of Leave movie. No Trace where um, Thomas and Mackenzie's character is just kind of like meeting people in the town and they're yeah. helping her out. And it's it's in that movie, it's the woman who played one of is it just da- like the. Is it- Dale Dickey? Yes. Is it, yeah. Okay. I was and, like, am I, am I stereotyping the rural blonde <laughs> woman or is it actually Dale Dickey? <laughs> no, it's Dale Dickey who, um, she's she's the 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 scariest person in the world in um, Winter's oh. Bone, right? Oh, my God. She's terrifying yeah. in Winter's yeah. Bone. And then, yeah. And then she's the most, so, like, generous, <laughs> lovely person in Leave No Trace. Yeah. And in, and in Leave No Trace, like, it's a girl who's in, like, a precarious situation. She's not, like, actively being threatened there's not like an attempt at her life or anything like that or she's not in like direct like in winter's bone yeah she's not yeah. In d- directly in harm's way um but you know she's not in the greatest situation but the movie at that in that part of it is just about like her meeting nice people who are helping her um cope in a mm-hmm. world that is being very challenging and that's like almost all of nomad is just mm-hmm. or nomad yeah. land is is um you know she's not in the best situation there are she has outs Um, oh she's she's given so many outs like it's not i think that's what made me nervous about this movie is i thought it was going to be about this woman who was just in despair in this terrible situation and you said that's not it she's she's making some choices yeah yeah she is in despair but like (laughs) 
she's working through it in her own way. Right. It's not like yes. she needs to be saved. She's making or... active choices, yeah. Right. Um, but, like, all the interactions she has with these people are so, like, endearing and yeah. positive and tender that I, I mean, it's a tough the, there's like certainly challenges that this movie has but i think there's a lot of like just pleasantness there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of pleasant interactions in this movie so yeah. I re- the trash picking up scene was right super highlight for me in that right. aspect and even like th- there's a few times where it sort of fakes you out or at least maybe it's just my what i was bringing into it where i expected like you expect an interaction to go badly like you're mm-hmm. so like oh no, now she's yeah. in danger oh no how's this person going to treat her oh something bad's about to happen and almost every time the interaction goes well. I mean, or at yeah. least it's it's fine. It's or pleasant. People bad. treat her well. Yeah. Or not bad. Or it, it, it's constructive, mm-hmm. if, even if it's hard. Right. Yeah, I don't want to... Yeah, I was going to say, I think we're, we might be thinking of sort of a sequence in the final act of the movie. I don't want to say anything about it, because mm-hmm. I didn't see it coming, really. Um, but there, she has sort of an interaction in the end that I thought, oh, God, here it comes. Here comes the big, terrible thing. And then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, it's not great, but, you know... No one's, no one's. And then she just goes and has an interaction with someone else. Ex- in exactly. House. And then, you know, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Also, quick shout out to um, David Strathairn, who we haven't even mentioned, who's the yes, other famous please. actor, other Oscar nominated <laughs> actor in this movie. So here's something I wanted to bring up, which is David Strathairn, obviously famous Oscar nominated actor. He's not part of this sort of realist world. Um, but mm-hmm. they cast his son to play his son, and then his son starts telling stories about, like, being on the road with a band, and his son is in the band Dawes. Like, his son is a rock musician. So I feel like they did, oh like, God. even for the, the famous people who aren't part of this lifestyle, they still incorporated some of those real-world elements, which I thought mm-hmm. was a fascinating choice. Even, I mean, like, all of... Is David's name... His name isn't David. Da- is da- yes, is it is. That? It's Dave. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Like, I... I couldn't remember. I looked up like everyone else's name. Like it's just uh, their name. It's just their name. I did wonder if they changed hers just because it would have been distracting to call her Francis. That has to be it, right? Fern's like the closest they could get. They just swapped like the sounds of a couple letters. But even like when she in the beginning, she's like looking at her. She's like had reserved a spot, and she's like it's Mm -hmm. under. She's like try looking under here. It's MCD. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. Oh. She said, look under MCD. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And I'm just now realizing that, yeah, that's just because it's her name. So yeah. interesting. Um, This is not even a fun fact, but because we brought up, like, all the characters having their real names, even David Strathairn just being Dave. It's like in Leave No Trace, Dale Dickey's playing a character named Dale. Thomas mm. and Mackenzie's character yeah. is Tom. Like, Ben Foster's Will, but otherwise they just used people's real names, which is... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, again, they had it. They had. They just changed the main character's name. Right, because it had been too. It's much. too distracting when Turns it's out, a famous main character. But starting this year, I think Thomas and Mackenzie is going to be like the biggest. She has something in the new world. coming she out. She has. She's star. She's the lead star of Edgar Wright's new lead. Oh, uh, last night in Soho. One last night in Soho, and she between. Jojo Rabbit that last year and that this year, like she's gonna be. The and big, big. she was also in two movies that I think only I watched last year and this year, which were quite wild. Which is, uh, she is Timothy Chalamet's sister in The King. Um, she oh. is uh, Queen Philippa. She gets married off to the King of Denmark um, in The King, and then she's also in um, 
I believe she's the main character. I can't remember if it's his sister or his wife. This I watched this movie at the beginning of quarantine. Uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. She's in that oh, as yeah. well. Oh yeah. Um, which she is yeah. In so she's she's working like since Leave No Trace. She's already been in a bunch of movies. She also is in Lost Girls, the Amy Ryan Netflix movie about like women who are kidnapped and murdered that I thought was going to be a huge deal. And then uh, oh, yeah. I don't think the reviews were very good. Um, but yeah, excited. I hope she just completely blows up into being a giant star. That'd be yeah. great. She she is so good in Leaving yep. No Trace and Jojo Rabbit. And Jojo Rabbit's not a movie I... She's the best part, though. I, 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 she's... I thought it was fine, but it's not a movie I like. I mm-hmm. loved. But yeah, she she like right. steals the show in Jojo. Yeah. She, steal, she steals the show from Ben Foster. And Leave No Trace. Leave no Trace. Yeah. And that's like... And that's like Ben Foster's best that performance. Movie is so good. Full stop. She's she's gonna win like two Oscars yeah. by the end of her career. I'm gonna have to bet. So yeah. speaking of JoJo, um, oh God. last year was it was it Tiff? <laughs> yeah, t- JoJo won mm-hmm. Tiff last year. Won the Th- audience award. Yes. This one Tiff this year. Mm-hmm. Three billboards won before that. Gold Derby right now. So between Tiff and the Venice um, mm-hmm. win for Nomadland, Gold mm-hmm. Derby has Nomad Nomadland is the number one likelihood uh, to win Best Picture. Do you guys see a movie this kind of like unstructured and loose and experimental win? Um, I mean, it's a weird Moonlight one. <laughs> that was so loud. Um, th- this year, yeah. Um, I, I mean, say, this is a weird year, right? Um, it, it's it's a weird year, and Moonlight has won. That's and true. That Moonlight did it. Loose, um, very uh, sort of open in its plottiness. Yeah, even even that has more of a structure. I feel like than this though. Like this one doesn't even offer which as which gold derby are you looking at? Because I'm I'm looking at the users. That has Mank as the first one. Mine says Combined, uh, which yeah. has Mank as number combined. two. Okay, I'll use that. Mank. Yeah, yeah, I think it really will be No Man Land is yeah. the, uh, Manx. Manx the heavy hitter the, coming uh, out. Festival favorite, and Mank will be the heavy hitter yeah. that you know comes to Netflix, big director, big mm. star. Yeah. Gary Oldman will win his second Oscar, and neither of them were from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'm still mad about that. Yeah. He was so good in that movie. Um, I do, although I, if if Gary Oldman wins for Mank, I do, and he can get added to the trivia list of people who've won Oscars for people who've won Oscars, which is like a fun trivia list, because I'm pretty sure that Herman Mankiewicz has an Oscar. I'm not, like, he has to, he, right? He does. He produced Yeah, okay. So I was going to say, much. I was like, I looked him up recently. Um, so He does I, that's, for a movie we're going to be talking about in three weeks. Oh, okay. So he did win an Oscar. He was a producer on Citizen Kane. He was the writer on Citizen Kane. Oh, well, I guess, obviously, yeah, that's Citizen what, <laughs> I guess that's what Mink is about, is him being the writer of Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, it's the only Oscar. Oh, that's that, right. That oh, that's Kane right. Yes, because it didn't win director, because mm-hmm. I think Orson Welles yeah. never got an Oscar. Or actor. How did Orson yeah. Welles not uh, um, no, I think he was nominated for director. I think he got a ton of nominations, and it just uh, kind of got it got railroaded. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, they, they didn't play the Oscar. But game. yeah, I just that's a tiny um, it's a tiny trivia list that I enjoy. Um, like Kate Blanchett has an Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn. Catherine you know, Hepburn. so yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, it's true. Also, if Frances McDormand wins this year, she ties Catherine Hepburn for the most for Oscars lead actress, for right? Female because Meryl has three, oh. but one supporting. What'd she win supporting in? Uh, Kramer versus Kramer. I am just talking oh, right. out of my ass, by the way. So now I'm Googling it to though. make sure I know my Meryl Streep Oscar trivia. I think that's right. That feels right. 
feels right. That sounds right. Because she got it for... Yeah, okay, I was I was right. Winner she... for the Iron Lady, Jesus. Um, Which... Winner for Sophie's okay, Choice that, that, and that... Supporting Actress, Kramer versus Kramer. The Iron Lady was simply a makeup award because she killed it in Julia and Julia, but they didn't consider it an Oscar. Yeah, they also should have given her the Oscar for uh, freaking Devil Wears Prada, but here we are. Oh, that... that, that yeah, was... that's a... Or Doubt. Yeah. She's so good. When I, so I have a gigantic monitor over here, and when I pull up Google Meryl Streep Oscars, there are so many that come up on like the little suggested results at the top that I have to scroll over to get all the way to her nomination from The Deer Hunter because it just takes up my entire screen. Oh, Meryl. Oh my God, she's so good in The Deer yeah. Hunter. It's like the only good thing. She about has the Deer a range Hunter. of truly deserving nominations and then truly wacko nominations. Yeah, but Florence. Lawrence Foster, Foster Jenkins. Jenkins, a movie that I watched. What the heck was that? <laughs> because you of course did? I did. She was nominated for it. 2017's That's the year true. I watched them all. So 2017. I, I watched that movie with my parents. I didn't think anyone else saw oh, that no. movie because they were Oscar completists did. I, 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 yeah. Like in fairness, I am talking shit about Florence, or I didn't even talk shit. Just I had the tone of talking shit about Florence, Florence Foster Jenkins. Jenkins. Maybe it's incredible. I haven't seen it. Not it's not seen. incredible. Hugh Grant, very good. That's that's my review of Florence yeah, Foster Jenkins. The thing is, is Florence Foster Jenkins isn't a bad movie. It's just a exactly. Movie. It's just but like, because Meryl hey, Hugh Grant's fun and yeah. and Meryl's yeah. great. But um, but I so I guess there's li- literally nothing to say. I guess Mike, what question I have related to what you just brought up, Dylan, um, and maybe I'm the only one who has a strong opinion about this um, is like how would you feel if Frances McDormand won a third Oscar for this and joined Catherine Hepburn? Frances McDormand's the best, right? It would be good, right? The the thing is, when I say Catherine Hepburn, it's just like... <laughs> you do not like... What do you have against Catherine Hepburn? I, I don't think anyone should ever be in a conversation with oh, Catherine okay. Hepburn. Because she's that... Oh, okay, movie. okay. Um, well, so that's... that's <laughs> like, but so, let's, but cool, so you, let's cool our jets here. Come okay, on. well, so the, but I think a lot of people <laughs> feel that way. And so a lot of people are like, mm, do we really want to give Frances McDormand a third Oscar? Because that puts her on Catherine Honestly, Hepburn's that's level. that's stupid. Just give it to I who agree. deserves it. I agree entirely. Frances McDormand deserves I think you can't 100%. try to manipulate the narrative that way, so... Although, I would be... Because Viola Davis still doesn't have a Best Leading she Actress Award. She does which not. Which is bullshit. Yeah. I mean... Everything she's done, it, even like my, she she, uh, she lost the help to Iron Lady, and the help right. is which oh, Meryl had the sense to be she, uh, <laughs> sort of contrite about. Yeah. But like Viola is just incredible. I mean, in my hot film. take is she should have won Best Actress for Fences, <laughs> the movie she won supporting actress for, yes, because she's I mean, the lead of that of, yes. movie, um, she or she's at is. least the co-lead uh, of that movie, but. She's no less of a lead no, than she's I mean, she's in the third act of it. I was going to say, I was like, spoilers for Fences, but she's in the whole movie. <laughs> so she has just so that going for her. Just saying. But yeah, that's, I mean, I, um, I know strategically, I, I if, if putting her in supporting is what it took, I guess, to get her an Oscar, I'm very glad she has her Oscar, but she, I would have given her lead for that, so. Yeah. Also, I want to bring up with the Gold Derby Oscar race this year, two of the top three currently best director predictions are women and women of color no doubt chloe Zhao mm-hmm. and regina king oh. for one night in miami yeah which that'd be wild like that would be very wild and if say spike lee finds his way in there even though he's not predicted or sofia coppola I, can sneak in there 
I'm very frustrated with how much Defy Bloods has fallen off in the. I mean, this happens to movies that it's come stupid. out in the first half of the year. Um, often, yeah. I mean, it can and, build up back buzz again, but you know, I, I, just without knowing how this year is going to go, um, I'm just annoyed that it has fallen off. And we we did kind of talk about the film kind of did fall apart somewhat in the second half. Oh, of the um, Five Bloods. Kind of. It, it yeah. takes some turns in the final it, it act does of take that some movie. Turns. Um, but like number six here on this list is Wes Anderson for French Dispatch. Which, which, sorry, which is off. Well, it's off the yeah. schedule. It's not. I'm it doesn't not have a release. That, but... Yeah, it doesn't even have a release yeah. date. So I. That's my yeah. thing with that is I'm just like they just pulled it from the schedule. It might come out, but I'm now seeing people say that at this point it's more likely that it plays at Cannes next year than like anything else. So. Yeah, and then and then number five is Dune, which. You know, it, it, it very well could come out in that window, but Did, seeing how low Tenet has performed, and that's right. Chris Nolan yeah. and, like, Robert Pattinson, John right. David Washington as Elizabeth Debicki. Right. Like, if, the, if that can't perform in theaters, like, are they going to hold Dune until maybe And God knows what any of us are doing in December <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Like, who's going to be allowed to leave their houses? And, um, did Villain... And then number four is Aaron Sorkin in the Trial of Chicago Seven. Yeah, I think and that's gonna we all fall know off. How I feel about Aaron Sorkin. When, and yeah. if he gets a director nomination, yeah, I mean, even I'm not gonna. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll see it. Be my favorite movie of the year. Um, but I can't imagine that the direction <laughs> is really what's going to be. The... If, if that gets a screenplay nomination, I will bear it. I understand. Right. If that gets a directing nomination, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, we'll yeah. see. We haven't seen. Um, maybe it's good. We haven't seen it yet, I but. Know. Um, did Villeneuve get did Villeneuve get nominated for um, twenty forty nine or Arrival so. or anything? I don't think. He's... I think he got nominated for Sicario. Can Back I make a weird confession like... while we uh, all yes. look? Yeah, up we'll the same. and hopefully wrap up <laughs> while, while all three soon of us here look too. Up the same <laughs> just spend the rest of our day doing this. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, whenever the movie One Night in Miami gets brought up, you hear I... One Night in Bangkok. No, I hear. Wow. I, I I think that we're talking about Zola. Oh, no. sure. I mean, that could also oh, be I'm called, s- yeah. Every, oh, he, what? I need Zola. Every, every single A24 time like, pulled all of its movies. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, he did get yeah. nominated for Arrival. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Arrival what, was that, it, that was, Arrival got a bunch of nominations and then an egregious Amy Adams snub. So that's that was the Arrival Wait, problem. Who did Amy Adams lose to? She didn't even get nominated. Sorry, I don't know, it was so high-pitched there. Jesus. Um, Yeah, I don't. Oh, she didn't even get nominated? Huge snub. Huge. What the um, fuck? I mean, it was 2016. Emma Stone in La La Land, Isabelle Hubert in mm-hmm. Elle, which I still haven't seen, but everyone says it's real it's good. Really good. <laughs> well, I, I think that's probably the one that stole it from her, though. Probably. Or took her slot. Yeah. Um, Meryl Streep and Florence else? Foster Jenkins. Oh, oh Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins. Florence Foster Jenkins year. So there you go. We That's can stupid. we can That's we can stupid. kick her right out. Sorry, Meryl. Ruth. The other two were Ruth Nigga and Loving, and Natalie Portman and Jackie. Oh, Natalie I mean Portman Natalie Portman and Jackie, and Jackie was, was my like favorite performance of insane. that year. Um, and Just, Ruth Nigga is extremely good in Loving, which I don't know if anybody else saw. Mm, I haven't seen that, but I've heard it's really it's really good. It's a you know it's not like a mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a based on a true story movie that is very straightforward. But she gives a really quiet um, and lovely performance but in it's that. Ruth Nigga, yeah, so. she's just so good. I, th- I think she kind of, for the time she was in it, kind of stole Ad Astra this past mm-hmm. year. She, she 
did really well. Um, which I know is one of Nick's favorite movies last year. It's a good movie. Yeah, love that Astra. Good movie. <laughs> oh, this is the Manchester by the Sea year. Well, that's a, uh, that's a picture. Yeah, like I said, it's hard. It's it's hard for me to yeah really shout out much about Nomadland because there's the parts in it that I I really loved are like well earned payoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just it's beautiful. There 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 is a couple more things I want to say, and uh, I want to go back to David Streetham, mm-hmm. which uh, I feel like he knew his place in mm-hmm. this movie. This is McDormand's right. movie. He's, so, not, he's not trying to act up. It's a real it. supporting role. And he does a good job also of, like McDormand, just blending mm-hmm. into the background. Just, like, he reminded me a lot of, honestly, my uncle. Sure. Who kind of, he, he, my uncle works at a uh, national forest. Oh, uh, wow. Preserve okay. in Colorado. Um, he, he talks with the very similar mannerisms and it was just like, he felt so natural mm-hmm. in it. I, honestly, I, I, I mean, he doesn't steal the movie, but I kind of hope he gets a Best Supporting Actor nomination because yeah. I thought he was very good in it. Agreed. Um, and a lot of the interactions between him and McDormand don't honestly feel any different than the interactions she has with Linda May mm-hmm. or Swanky or Bob. Right. And just testament to how good this movie was. Um, and then the other thing I want to shout out before we end is the score. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's cool. I had it up. It's great. Uh, I, I mean, unbelievable. This I, has to win best I, score. I, I, kept, I was trying to describe how I felt about it. And every way I tried to describe it last night, I kept having to be like, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like an insult when I mean it as a compliment. But I don't know if you guys ever listened to like peaceful piano comp- like compilations on playlists. Yes. And like... I was like, I mean that as the sin- most sincere compliment that this is, it just puts me in the kind of same mood that like when I'm trying to like read or work or just calm down and I go to Spotify and I find some playlist that's just called Peaceful Piano Music. Um, it was like that. I mean, but just it worked so well in the movie to give you this vibe of just peacefulness, but also melancholy. Ugh, it was very good. Yeah. The composer's name is Ludovico Iannaudi. All right. God, I, I hope he's not like Chloe Zhao. He like <laughs> he's going to hear this and he's going to be furious with you. Furious. Um, he, he he doesn't only do pianos though. He, it's almost like a piano um, with a like a chain. Yeah, it's, it's piano forward. With a couple of violins, but and it's a cello. fuller than that. Yeah. Um, and I felt like. Honestly, the piano was a bit of a stand-in for McDormand's character. And w- the more she was outside in the community, the more the chamber pieces would kind of, the chamber instruments mm-hmm. would kind of come up. And so I thought the score did really well kind of emphasizing like the personal moments to the communal moments um, and just a lot of the feelings that I was feeling mm-hmm. in those scenes because they were affecting. And um, yeah, the score was affecting. It's very good. Mm-hmm. He also yeah. did the score for another 2020 movie that I haven't seen, oh, yeah. but we've talked about The Father, that Anthony Hopkins uh, dementia oh, yeah. drama. He also did the score for that, too, so he's having a good year. Yeah, that's another could win Best Actor sure. instead of Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Which, Anthony Hopkins already has an Oscar. Ac- uh, Oscar. Let's uh, leave yeah. well enough alone. I, I, and I don't know how anything's going to be beat Delroy Lindo yeah. in movie. It's just... It was a great movie. Or a great performance. He did the trailer to Black Swan. Oh. Oh, really? 
That's an intense trailer. Yeah, it's a good trailer. Yeah, I mean, the Oscars are six and a half months away, which is wild. Um, and there's that makes October, my November, December, January, February. There's five more months of eligibility. So They're a quarantine times worth. Oh, God. Away. Oh, how dare you? They are a full quarantine away. We have been in quarantine for as long as we have until the Oscars happen. Yeah. Six and a half months down, six and a half to go. <laughs> that, that, Nick, you didn't have to say I that. Had yeah. to. I had <laughs> like, well, I can't. Yeah. I can't live with these thoughts on my own. Could not keep that inside. Oh, Nick, I had a question for you specifically about the movie. Um, this movie was kind of pitched as a Great Recession movie. Yeah, actually. And I, I knowing your history with Great Recession movies, it's not a great history. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and there, there is um, one scene that I mentioned to you guys where they like they almost went too far um, in terms of like characters arguing about. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. economics and housing uh, prices specifically. Yeah, that that was the weakest yeah. movie by far. But it, yeah. it, like that that argument does get sort of derailed pretty quickly, and then it just mm-hmm. moves on. And I was very grateful for that because as that was happening, I was like, "Oh God, I'm having like um, uh, what was the movie? Beatrice at Dinner flashbacks." Oh, sure. Is, I did oh. not see that, but I remember reading the critiques of uh, that. I. I loathe that movie. It sounded, so. yeah, I don't think I would like it either. Um, but no, this movie, it, it did a good job, and I have um, a couple rationales as to why it didn't bother me the way a lot of those other ones do. And one is that um, it's not really a recession movie. I mean, like, on its service it is. No, but in the end it really didn't feel right. like it. Yeah, this is really more like a, a grief movie and dealing mm-hmm. with grief in your own way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the other, like, a lot of those movies that I'm very critical of, and I guess Beatrice at Dinner doesn't really do that. That movie just is a mess for different reasons. But stuff like um, Hell or High Water, Killing Them Softly, um, and even, I mean, I like Hustlers, but I didn't like... Big Short. Uh, I guess that one doesn't fall into the category I'm about to get into. But, like, Hus- Hustler certainly does, even though I do like that. I just didn't love it the way a lot of people did. But a lot of those movies... Like yeah, me. a lot and of those me. movies um, are <laughs> about how people are going up against the system and using their force and their wits, they can actually like overcome this corrupt uh, whatever. Well, this whole it world. ends badly for almost everybody. I mean, in, in Hustlers and uh, Teller High Water, it's not like <laughs> it yeah. works out well for them. Or killing them softly. But this is more like you can't even fight against it. You just kind of have to suffer right. through it. And I, mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. tone is a little bit more honest. And mm-hmm. granted, I get like Beatrice at dinner. I, th- I think you would argue falls into that category, but that movie's just like, it's, it's not well made. Um, yeah. But this one, like it, yeah, I can't even think of how this movie would, would take like that tact. Like she gets a job at Amazon and then, goes through the ranks and then has some like socialist mm-hmm. uprising and you know so just like something stupid like that where it's just not right. believable um it's right. not genuine whereas yeah. this like there are people like this we see people like this mm-hmm. uh in the movie mm-hmm. so it it feels real or it feels true or it feels like an honest uh depiction of these people so that's those are the the reasons why, but I mean, like maybe more importantly, this isn't a movie just about economics. It's about how that right. and like life kind mm-hmm. of interplay. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I do want to fight you on the honesty of Hustlers, but that's another <laughs> conversation I think that we could have. Because that movie is perfect. Mm. But that's I just rewatched it again like five days ago because it keeps being on the movie channels. And um, yeah, holds up. It's, um, it's so good. But I, to your point, Nick, I do think two things that I agree with. One is I also had a, or I had a moment at the beginning where I kind of thought like, is this going to be like an expose about how terrible Amazon is? Like there's, there's a moment like <laughs> yeah, the very I, I early on where you're like, is this going to be about uh, Amazon's terrible? And then actually, no, it seems like we're working at Amazon. I mean, aside from the fact that she is living in the van, um, you know, it, it's presented very neutrally at mm-hmm. least, you know, it's not, it's yeah, not, a, not, not, yeah, just not neutrally. Negative, it's, it's just, just, it's just something. And she, yeah. It. And she has a line that's like, well, the money's good, you know? And so uh. whatever. And then it's a seasonal job. It's not reliable employment. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. Um, but it, it does avoid that. And then the other thing I think that, yes, it's a rec- great recession movie, but it's much more like the circumstance she's in is, is twofold. One, it's, you know, sort of her grief from her loss and and processing that. But she also, you know, it has to do with the closing of of essentially what's a company town, um, which is something that's happened throughout American history, right? It's like the mines closed, you know, in this case, it's sheetrock, presumably because of the housing um, downturn. Um, But like that's been happening for 100 years in America, where a town that's built entirely around one company, if that company doesn't make it, then the town ceases to exist. And so it feels... Like it, this could ha- this story could be told any time in the past hundred years, um, which yeah. I think helps. Like right? The- I mean, I think it, it feels timeless in that way. Um, and you know, again, that it's not it's not that she didn't have other options or opportunities. It's that because of her her loss and her grief, you know, that she sort of just finds herself. But this is the only thing she can manage to do, really. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. as that becomes more. Um, like as we uncover more mm-hmm. and more about her history throughout the course of the mm-hmm. movie, the movie takes on layers that I think like she she was just a normal person and she had a job mm-hmm. and then she lost yeah. her job. Um, you know, it, it'd still be an interesting movie because of the performance and the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. But it really t- like you could tell the story without the like only in economic terms, um, mm-hmm. and it would still I think be pretty good. But it really takes the personal touches to this character to to like put it over the top as being like her really a great movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i do want to say i did have a problem with the first act to maybe the first half of the movie it wasn't a big problem but i i was not a fan at all of how it was paced at first and i think it took up to the scene that we kind of talked about with swanky where things started to settle in with me um and i think it's something on a rewatch that like knowing sort of mm-hmm. the pace of the film on the whole and kind of how it progresses that problem might get smoothed out a bit but um as much as like i was affected by the end i still was like for the first ish maybe 30 40 minutes was just like okay mm-hmm. it's fine yeah i was i was basically with you except that by the end I was fine with like that by the end I was so invested that like because I agree for those first 30 minutes I was like okay where is this going um but it paid off in a way for me that I I feel like it earned it and I definitely think that on a rewatch knowing where it's going um will change my perspective as well um we have not um shouted out that this is a Christmas movie by the way um it's also a Thanksgiving movie movie. it's a Mm -hmm. it's a holiday movie in general um it's a New Year's movie really um right yeah so it's uh yeah it was good I I 
yeah, not mm-hmm. too much more that I, I want to say without getting into details. And I'm sure we'll talk about it um, again, maybe when it comes out. Just remind people when it's available. I don't know how. I don't know what they're doing with the release. It's scheduled for release on like December fourth. I don't know if it's going to be theatrical only. Um, I don't know if it's going to how they're doing it. Um, but I hope people can see it reasonably somehow safely soon. Somehow. Yeah, I would have. I would. I will say. Um, I watching it last night was very sad that I wasn't watching it in a theater. Like I think wh- from the first part where like the very first mm-hmm. shot, which I. Is, is it a spoiler to say the first shot? I don't remember what the first shot was. I don't think yeah, it's a spoiler. No, no. It's just, it's opening up a, a, a storage. Oh, shot. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this, yeah. Because they come back and to the storage And it was just so place. intimate and mm-hmm. so sort of closed in. I just wish I was in this like really dark. Yeah. And... The combination of like the beautiful vistas that we get. Um, and there's a mm-hmm. sequence, two thirds ish, maybe three quarters of the way through the movie. Um, like when she's out in kind of like communing with nature in a way um, there's like these, these really beautiful shots um, and the combination of that and I think the pacing with like the first 30 minutes when you're in a theater that's a whole different experience than when you're sitting at home and like your phone's right there and you're kind of like where's this going and I'm like I have I did I order like what am I going to do for dinner like you know and I'm kind it's harder to sort of make peace with okay this movie's taking me on a ride at its own pace and so it was really during those first 30 minutes when I was like I wish I was in a theater right now because mm-hmm. I could feel myself like looking around um and it wasn't like it wasn't dark here <laughs> when I started this movie the sun had not gone down because uh, it became available at 5 p.m pacific time speaking of the sun not going down my son yes. did wake up with about a right half now? hour left in the movie <gasps> oh no yeah. so that wasn't fun oh <laughs> but you were, I mean, you were able to finish it obviously without, yeah yeah uh, we finished it he just like squawking for Aww. quite a bit through uh, yeah through demanding the last, some attention the last yeah. act of the movie so yeah, yeah like not the ideal situation to watch kind of like this uh sparse quiet uh especially some like the end which is like so um wet. oh one one the only last note i had um we talked about the score um and I, i'll have to watch, make sure this is accurate on rewatch but how i processed it as i was watching it is there's no score for a long time it's very quiet for the you know opening Mm -hmm. and then i think there's a sequence when she's like on the open road when the score kicks in for the first time um that really like like you said dylan it makes it does seem like it's her music like it's on her journey and then the music kicks in and it's just very effective i just i liked almost all the choices made in this movie Mm -hmm. anyway so that's nomadland yeah the best we could without yeah we talked about some other good movies um I, no Man Land's the only one we're going to rate today because it's the only one people have mm-hmm. seen. Um, maybe later as we get into some more Oscar discussion, maybe I've been able to pick up some of these movies. Maybe we'll rate them too. But for now, Nomadland, Jana, thumbs up. Thumbs, thumbs up, man. Thumbs Nick. up. Well, a thumbs up too. Nick, rating out of four. Uh, three and a half, but it's close. Mm-hmm. Close to three or close, close to, to four. four? Gotcha. Oh, it's Anna? a full four from me. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be a three and a half for me, too. So that'll do it for this pod today. You can find us at Twitter and Litterboxd at Great Movies Pod. Uh, you can check out our podcast artist, Scott Brady, at S. Brady Artist on Twitter. And next time, very soon, not even next week, possibly. Uh, we'll be doing Casablanca 
as I think we mentioned in the Bourbon mm-hmm. Blossoms review anyway. Yep. But um, stay yeah, tuned. It's so excited for that. Like, yeah, stay tuned. It's <laughs> totally awesome. overrated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next coming in hot. And, uh, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. And, uh, Don't send me hate mail. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a good movie. I love it. <laughs> it's okay. You know, three out of three or four, maybe. <laughs> B B minus. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so that'll be all for today. Roger out. Roger, Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Nomadland spoilers ahead. Nomadland spoilers ahead. I'm curious as to what scene you're talking about where you thought something was going to go just like... Oh, you can edit this out, Dylan, if you want. Um, I was like very concerned sister. about her sister and how that was going to play. I thought oh, her, like oh, okay, okay. Uh, when she went to the sister's house, I thought, and then her sister was like, you can just stay here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I thought so, you were like, that, that's not how this works. That's not how yeah. it works. Right. When yeah. you said the house, I was thinking, I was thinking uh, of David's house. house. Yeah. House. No, everyone and there I, is uh, nice to, to her mm. too. I mean, there was some tension where I thought, oh, are they going to like tell him that his like weird lady friend has to go but and the, they no. all like her they like they toast to her and yeah. mm-hmm. and like the the one i don't know it's his daughter-in-law maybe is just like yeah. yeah like i'm so glad you're here everyone like he really likes you right yeah he really likes you we're so happy you're here um by the way trivia fact um that actor playing David Strathairn's son is David Strathairn's actual son, son mm-hmm. which we looked up because Matt, oh Matt God, the really? first thing Matt said was because when the guy when you first meet uh, that character, I feel like we're way in spoilers. You might have to edit all of this out, um, but this will be an entire <laughs> okay. Yeah, at the end, just be like go to the spoilery bit. Um, but when he spoilers. walks into the pizza parlor or whatever that place is, it's not a pizza parlor, the restaurant that uh, shop where they're working, and it's like this tall, skinny guy. And that's like, well, that they wow, they really cast someone who looks like <laughs> it could be his son. And we looked it up, and he's also, and then he tells. Okay, sorry. I thought there was an earthquake happening just now. <laughs> False alarm. There's no, um, there, it, there, the apartment above me, you can really cut this out of the podcast. The apartment above me has been vacant for like a year. Um, and someone is now walking around upstairs in the apartment above me. And it's just like, that hasn't happened in so long. And it is someone with very heavy footsteps. And I really thought there was an earthquake. Um, nope, just apartment living. It's fine. I, I don't know what they're doing up there. Oh. Sorry. It's fine. I'm home alone. Nothing to worry about. It's okay. Uh, all right. What else do we want to say about Nomadland? Uh, we have been going now for almost two hours. So uh, I was so sure. Um, 